coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation. It's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. Here are your hosts, Tyler and Curtis. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA podcast. I'm Tyler, and back with me today to recap... I guess what we have to call an uninspiring Georgia win over the Kentucky Wildcats is my co-host, Curtis. And guys, in the interest of full disclosure, I actually just got in from Lexington about an hour or so ago, had to unpack, put some clothes in the laundry, grab a bite to eat, and now here we are recording. And I say that because I want to make sure everyone knows, yes, I did watch the game again on the way home. I saw it live in the stadium, also watched it on my phone on the way home today as my amazing wife safely navigated us home, got us home safe and sound. Watched all the, the post-game press conferences and all that good stuff. But I don't have all the info that I would normally have on a recap show at my fingertips today from like a stat standpoint. And I just want to make sure you guys know that's why. And of course, it's impossible to cover everything we want to cover in the depth that we want to cover here on this podcast in one single recap episode. So anything we miss or don't cover today, you guys know how this works. We will get into in the mailbag episode later on this week. As you guys can probably imagine, after an offensive performance like the one in Lexington, we have more than a few deeply alarmed listeners who have already loaded us up with a bunch of great questions, but keep those coming and we will do our best to get to as many of them as we possibly can on this week's mailbag episode. You can send those to us on Twitter at glory underscore UGA. You can also email us at gloryugapodcast at gmail.com. And again, we'll get to as many of those as we possibly can. The goal is to always get through each and every question that is sent in, but that doesn't always happen during the season. We try, man. We really do try. It's much easier to do that during the off-season mailbag episodes because we only have one of those a month usually. And yeah, sure, sometimes we can break those into two episodes or however many parts we need to because we have the time, the flexibility to do that. During the season, however, we've just got so much content to cover, recapping the, the previous game, looking forward to the new game, all that stuff. We've got so much to cover. It's just hard to do multiple mailbag episodes in any given week, but we are going to try our best to get all those questions answered. So feel free to send us any questions that you guys have. But all right, Curtis, we don't have any more time to waste. We have a short window to record today, and I want to cover as much ground as we can. And let's just start here. Based off the interaction with our listeners on social media after the game yesterday and just hearing people talk in Lexington after the game, even though we won that game on Saturday, a lot of Georgia fans, at least the feeling that I'm getting, don't really feel like it was a win. It doesn't have that feel to it, even though, yeah, the scoreboard says we won. A lot of people are kind of feeling like there's a lot more to be concerned about as opposed to be optimistic about coming out of that win over Kentucky. I think one of our listeners, I can't remember off the top of my head who it was. It might have been Cliff. It's somebody out there on social media. They actually said that. They said that in the aftermath of the game that even though we won, it didn't feel like a win. And of course, when you beat Kentucky 14-3, to when you're the vastly more talented team, that frustration is going to center around the offense, which if you've been watching, isn't really anything new this season. We've been talking about this seemingly since the very beginning of the season. If you look at the game on Saturday against Kentucky, yeah, we scored 14 points, put up 346 total yards, 215 yards rushing, which I think is, is something to certainly build off of and be happy about. Only 131 yards passing, although we were 9 of 14 throwing the football. So again, enough to win. Those numbers are enough to win, enough to beat a, a, an okay at best Kentucky team without their starting quarterback. 
but also lackluster enough to raise some serious doubts and some more serious concerns about this team sealing the rest of the way. So Curtis, I will simply put it to you. What was your take on this offensive performance? And also, I, I guess, the offensive approach against Kentucky on Saturday. Honestly, I get the approach. I think the biggest thing was just the execution. You know, I know it wasn't anything sexy out there, but the big thing about Kentucky is, you know, it's a physical t- game. And realistically, you were just wanting to get out there with as few injuries as possible, shorten the game as much as you could. And that's honestly the reason, like, I get the running attack, and we were just trying to, you know, pass enough to keep them honest. And, um, well, like I said, at the short same time keeping the game short but we just didn't execute like you uh you and I were texting after the game you know the biggest thing was that outside those two picks we more than likely win somewhere around 28 to 3 and there's not a lot of hand-wringing if that is the final score chance we would have gotten at least one touchdown because what the, the, the batted ball interception comes in, like, at the 10 yard line essentially so that should be at least three points right there, if not six. We were kind of rolling at that time. You know, they weren't doing anything to stop our offense at that point. Really didn't do much to stop our offense the entire day. So that easily could have been a touchdown, I would say at least three points. And look, does that change the perception of that game and that win all that dramatically? You know, like 17-3 or 21-3 as opposed to 14-3? Probably not overly dramatically, but I do think the feeling would probably be a little bit different coming out of that game than what it is right now. It was a first or second down on that throw, too. So, I mean, either way, we left at the, at a minimum three to six points on the field at that time. And, you know, if that's the final score, people may not be as happy, you know, that we didn't pass the ball much, but they're not going to hand you know ring hands too much over it because we won that game and we were in control. But that didn't happen, and so most people are freaking out. Do you understand why they're freaking out, though? Like, do you get it? I do because it's not the fact of – that we only scored a little bit. Yeah, we ran the ball a lot. And people people also have to take that into account. Like, yeah, we ran the ball. But so far, this was the first time this season, I think I read, that we were under 50% uh, throwing the ball. So we've actually been throwing the ball more than we've been running so far this year. So, uh, yeah, Kirby said, you know, people, a lot of people were freaking out because Kirby made that comment that we need to return the Georgia football. And everyone saw how we played Saturday. We're like, see, now we'll return the Georgia footballs. You know, we just wasted getting Monkin and stuff because we're just going to run the ball. But I don't believe that. I think this was a strategic game plan of how we came into that game. And not saying that's how we're, that's all we're going to do going forward. I don't believe that. But the only thing that really bothered me was Kentucky is good defensively, yes. But the way that we were inept in the passing game is what really bothered me. How much of a concern is that for you right now? You know, I've been saying for a while that I thought Stetson has been exposed. And, you know, I saw some, you know, a lot of writers, you know, these beat writers and things like, oh, Stetson just needs to return to what he was doing in the first time. Yeah, that's all easy, you know, fine and dandy and easy to say. But the realistic reason that he's not who he was those first couple weeks is because teams finally have film on him. They know how to defend him. And he is the one that does not know how to respond. Well, he hasn't been able to respond like we need him to at this point. I'm not. I'm not gonna say he's incapable of, of being able to make adjustments himself and and respond in a way that will put us in position to win games against the best opponents on our schedule. But we haven't seen that yet. Since you're right, since some of the, some of the tape has gotten out and teams have been able to specifically game plan for him. It's one thing to come off the bench against Arkansas when they have no tape on you whatsoever. Didn't even bother having you in the game plan. Probably I don't know. Matches that was really part of their game plan. Like in terms of like preparing for 
for Georgia, like when, when they gave their defensive players the, the game plan for the week, I don't imagine Stetson Bennett was a part of that game. I don't think there was any prep going in there. But now when he is the focal point of that game prep, it's a different story. It, it, there's no doubt about it. But I'm kind of with you, Curly. Like first of all, let me say this. I completely understand some of the frustration and the consternation. I get where that is coming from. I really do. But – I think Curry did a pretty good job kind of laying out the context there of what's going on in this particular game. For instance, let's just look at it this way. When you look at this game, here's why I kind of understand the approach offensively. I told you guys coming into this game this week, last week on the show, that I did not think Kentucky could beat us because I did not think that they would be able to score enough, especially with a brand-new quarterback, Joey Gatewood, coming in for an injured Terry Wilson. Even if Terry Wilson was playing, I just had seen no evidence from that Kentucky team, that Kentucky offense, to suggest that they were going to be able to score enough to beat us. Even with some of our offensive limitations right now, I just didn't see them being able to, to put together enough sustainable drives against our defense. Sure, we have some issues with Alabama, but this is a different kind of offense. I didn't see them be able to score against us. And I told you guys, the only way that we were going to lose this game is if we did what Tennessee did. Tennessee didn't get dominated by, by Kentucky. I know the final score says they, says they did it was a 34-7. But if you actually watch that game, Kentucky did not surpass 300 total yards of offense in that game. They still won 34-7. That's because Gorantano threw two pick sixes, and they just gave them easy scores. If we did not give them easy scores – with turnovers or, or poor special teams, we were not going to lose this game. And if I know that, then guys, our, our coaches know that too. They know more about football than I do, okay? They know about more about this team. They know more about Kentucky. They break this down for a living, okay? They know they know it just like I knew it. And, and, and you also look, there's no George Pickens, all right? No George Pickens in this game, which means we had two true freshman wide receivers playing the vast majority of the snaps. Marcus Roseby, Jack Saint played 57 snaps, guys. 57 snaps is what now that also includes special teams as well. Dude played a ton of snaps. Jermaine Burton played 48 snaps. And maybe you also have a quarterback in sets of men that you maybe don't truly 100% trust. And you look at the at the Kentucky defense front. I think Kentucky's defense front, if they're healthy, is the best defense front that we face. I still say, even with Quentin Bohanna not in the lineup, I still think it's the best defense front that we faced all year. So I was really happy with how our offense was able to run the football on them. But they were a banged-up defensive front. you got to factor that in. And you, you just follow what Curry's been saying since the band game, since the, the post-game press conference against Alabama. We all kind of felt like we should have run the ball, the ball more against Alabama. We got a ton of questions about that after that game uh, for the mailbag that week. And then Kirby, of course, last week, talking about how he wants to get back to Georgia football. And then you find out early on, oh, yeah, we can run the ball on them. Why would you throw the ball? Like, honestly, if you can run the ball with success like that to where you can win a football game, why would you put the ball in the air and risk a turnover that could change the game just like Tennessee had against Kentucky? Why even bother risking it if you can run the football with that kind of success and still win the football game that way? So that's I, that's why I kind of get the approach. I know it's not a sexy approach, and I know it's a, an approach that will certainly leave people wanting more and it will leave more than a few people – deeply frustrated and i understand that and i guess i'm not complete without frustration i would i want to see our passing game get on track i want to see our offense become more dynamic because we are not going to beat the teams that we have to beat to get where we want to go if we do not become more dynamic offensively i fully recognize that i am not in denial there i get that but if you can this is in a one game scenario because curtis kind of laid it out there you know if you go back i crunched i crunched the numbers coming into this game we had run the ball 54 percent of the time through the first four games 
We ran the ball 75% of the time in this game. So this is clearly the exception. Now, maybe this is a, a, a sign of things to come, because we did hear Kirby talking about going back to Georgia football, going back to our roots. Maybe this is a sign of things to come. But at this point, through five games, this game, this approach offensively was unlike any other approach. And I think there are reasons for that. I don't know if this is necessarily going to be the approach we will have the rest of the way. And I think that's what has people concerned. Like, this is just what we're going to be the rest of the way. And maybe it is. I can't say it's not. I just don't think it necessarily will be. I don't think we're going to be running the ball 75% of the time, even 60% of the time, the rest of the way. Now, I think it might be, you know, somewhere between 55 and 60. And we're going to, we're certainly going to run more than maybe we did against Alabama because I think that's become the strength of this team. I think that's maybe a, a something that I'm, at least, I don't want to say excited about, but I feel decent about is like maybe this team has at least somehow found, I don't know, some sort of identity, which we didn't have an identity offensively. And, and maybe that's running the football like that. I, I Again, I don't think 75% is going to be the, the run pass split moving forward, but I, I do think that maybe we found an identity there, but I do get why people are frustrated. I do. And I, I will also say style points do matter. Like when you only, like when, let's say we get down into the season and you got the college playoff committee looking at us and they're considering us. Maybe, maybe we're not even in, in consideration at that point. Maybe not. But if we are, We'd be foolish to think that style points don't matter. And that a 14-3 win over Kentucky, a lackluster win like that, is not going to count against us because all these these committee members, they're, they're, I mean, look at Oklahoma got in the playoffs the last two years because they put up a ton of points. Style points matter. And I also would say, like, to beat the better teams on our schedule, we've got to be able to throw the football. And to do that, we've got to get our passing game into a rhythm. And you can't just turn it on. So I, I on one level, I do understand, okay, well, why throw the ball if you don't have to, if you're able to run it? I understand that. I mean, from a coaching standpoint, that makes a lot of sense. That's how coaches view things. But you also can't just turn on the passing game, flip the switch, and turn it on, especially when you got sets of minute back there who's still very much learning on the job, a lot of young receivers. We've got to get the passing game into a rhythm. So I would have liked to have seen us throw the football a little bit more. I think Kirby would have liked to, um, ideally. But considering the circumstances, I understand maybe why we didn't in this particular game. But all right, Curtis, it, it, we talked a little bit about sets of men. We touched on there, touched on that there, but we can't talk about the offensive woes without talking about the quarterback position. We want to go a little bit more in depth here. I feel like we were on a constant loop. I have to admit here, I feel like we're on a constant loop on this show each and every week where we're talking about the, the same quarterback issues and the same questions each and every week. Stetson Bennett was 9 of 13 for 131 yards, no touchdowns, two interceptions. In the postgame press conference, Kirby balked at the idea that this offense is limited with Stetson Bennett at, at the helm. Curtis, let me just simply ask you this. What would you say to that? I would say this, Coach Speak. I mean, all these people that – like they were asking if Kirby ever thought about making a change. I'm not trying to be mean, but you actually thought Kirby Smart would come out and say, you know, yeah, we we're thinking about making a change or, or, you know, we have our limitations. That's an asinine belief because Kirby Smart's never going to do that because all that does is change the narrative for the practice and the, the whole time leading up to the game for the entire week. And you have not been paying attention since Kirby Smart's been a head coach if you actually thought he would do something like that. Um, I just want to start out by saying that because that's but not Kirby Smart's game. Do you understand the impulse from fans who want to hear him acknowledge some of the – the issues offensively. Well, yeah, I get it. But if you actually thought he was going to change out of nowhere, then you have unrealistic expectations in that aspect. Yeah. And I think the other thing I would say is that it's not like where people are going wrong is not in their desire to hear Kirby smart, acknowledge that we are struggling offensively at least at times. And that we have some limitations offensively, especially at the quarterback position. I don't think it's wrong to want to hear Kirby acknowledge those things and say those things out loud. Where I think people are going wrong is in their expectation 
that he's going to do that. Like getting upset because he doesn't openly criticize the offense and particularly the quarterback and his performance because he's just not going to do that. So just, I would just say, don't go into his press conferences expecting him to do that. I know we might want to hear those things, kind of validate how we're feeling, but he's just not going to do it. Getting upset about it, it's just, you just have to understand, guys, you're going to be upset about it every single week and every every single press conference because it's just not going to happen. He's just not going to do it. Would I love to know if they were actually hoping to, you know, to make some change or get someone to do something different? Of course. But like I mentioned, that's an unrealistic expectation to believe that that's going to happen. Yeah. I, yeah, I just think Kirby's not going to do that. I think that's the thing. Like, it, just If you expect no, because, it to happen, it's not going to happen. If you've been watching the game, you can tell Stetson is struggling mentally right now. I think that's the biggest thing. I think he's putting so much pressure on himself that he's pressing in a way that he's not used to. And if you actually thought Kirby's going to go out and say something like that and put even more pressure on the kid, then you honestly, like, I don't know what, what you're expecting. Because, um, you know, I was texting you about it. You can see as soon as St- Stetson has lost all confidence, in my opinion. Confidence is a big part of what – I think that's a big part of what he brought to the table early in the season when he kind of comes in off the bench, gets the team rolling. He has that juice. He gets the, the team juiced up, ready to go. And, and they kind of fed off that. But when he doesn't have that, it's a problem, right? Yeah, he has no confidence, and he has no confidence in himself. So, like like you mentioned, you know, when we were winning, everyone's like, oh, the mailman delivers. There was some confidence around the program. That confidence in himself is gone completely. Like, he is he is pressing. I mean, every time he does something, you know, before, he if he made a mistake, he was just like, eh. Like, you know, it's not that it didn't bother him. Shake it, it off. Shake yeah. it off. And, yeah, but it, it's this is lingering. Um, he had that swag. That's he he had that swag early on. Yeah. Not anymore. He has no swag. He has no confidence anymore. You know, before he was that gunslinger. Well, I think now the pressure's starting to get to him of, you know, yeah, you're a gunslinger, but you're at a big SEC school who expects to win, and these mistakes are adding up. You and I were talking about it. You know, the big thing, one thing, the reason Stetson has stayed the quarterback and things like that is because he came in as someone who knew what to do and wasn't going to turn over the ball. Well, he's done a complete 180 and is now no longer that person. He is now the liability of the offense. Five interceptions in the last two games, two fumbles that were not, fortunately not recovered by the opponent, but still put the ball on the ground two different times. It's seven potential turnovers in the last two games. That's not, that's not good enough. It's just not good enough. No. Yeah. That's, that's, and that's kind of what, before it, before it was, he would never cost us the game. Now it's like, can we win in spite of him? Which might sound a little harsh, but in some ways, I think that's slowly becoming reality. Can we build an offense and structure an offense that neutralizes his limitations? Yeah, and that's really what it's, it's been lately now. It's been, it's, it's like a, a slope. Like, once it started, he is not, he's spiraling, is the feeling I'm getting. Yes, I, th- I think you're, you're, you're hitting on a lot of great points here, Chris. I, I, I'm going to try to hit all of these things that you're saying. Talk about his confidence. I, I definitely buy into that. I don't want to say he has no confidence. I don't know. But I would say he's certainly losing confidence. He does not have the same swagger out there that he did the first couple games of the year. He doesn't have that ability where, you know, you, you know, you make a poor decision. It's all right. You know, you're, my wife likes this thing. You're the goldfish. You have a 10-second memory. And then you put it behind you. He, he's not showing that right now. It's, you're right. It's lingering. And just did you want – did you have – You're seeing in his throws. He's not reading the ball. He's not reading the field quickly. And I think that's because he has no confidence. Did you, you know, happen to catch his post-game press conference, Kurt? Did you happen to catch that? Yeah, and I, I mean, it, I mean, what he said was true, but it's, it was unlike what you've heard from him. 
Yeah, in case anyone, those of you might not have seen his his press conference. What he basically said was, "Yeah, the team the team played really well, except for me." And like, and on some level, you're like, "Okay, yeah, cool. You want to take some responsibility for for poor play? I get that." But kind of just the way he said it, I mean, you kind of got the vibe that the confidence wasn't there. And it was, it he was sounded he sounded like a defeat. He sounded like a defeated dog, in my opinion. Yeah, he kind of did. He kind of did. And maybe, and look, I don't really know Stetson that much. I haven't seen him in interviews like I did Jake Fromm for three years. So you don't really know. Like maybe that's just like he's deadpan, and maybe that's just kind of how his delivery is. I don't know. I don't know. If maybe I'm reading too much into it. But it certainly struck me as like, wow, this guy doesn't seem like a very confident quarterback right now. Like in his game day profile interview, he it's almost like he's been defiant. Like when when posed questions about like his physical limitations and how people perceive him and why he was had to be a walk on and why no one was really offering him a scholarship. And why he was so far down the depth chart, and why it's taking so long for him to get this opportunity, he kind of had that defiant attitude, like, "Hey, yeah, I always thought I was way better than what everyone else thought I was." But it's almost like it, it seems like that attitude, that defiance, is—I don't want to say gone, but certainly diminished. And I think that is a really, really negative development for him because that's again a big part of what I think he brought to the table that swag that confidence that defiance in the face of all odds in the face of what everyone else said about him and now that's certainly diminished and going back to like Kirby and the idea that Kirby should be openly criticizing him in a public setting like that in a press conference I think a big part of what Kirby is doing right now is he's trying to manage a personality he's playing the psychologist role of a coach right now because coaches just like teachers put on a lot of different hats. And right now with Stetson Bennett, I think Kirby is putting on his psychologist hat here because, guys, I, I know you might not want to admit this, and I, and I know it's easy to sit here and say, well, you know what, this is big boy football, so just put your big boy pants on and get over it. But the psychological aspect of playing sports, it is a real thing. And that it's a very delicate thing, especially at the quarterback position. If things get in your head, Kirby, you said spiral out of control, that can certainly happen. So I think Kirby right now is doing his absolute best to try to manage that the best he can and handle the psychological aspect of playing quarterback that Stetson Bennett is dealing with right now, especially with all this criticism that he's getting. And people have always dismissed him, but openly criticized him like this when the spotlight's on him. That hasn't happened before. So the psychological component of this is a very real thing. I think Kirby right now is really trying to manage that. And you can totally disagree with how he's handling it, but Dealing with the psychology of your team and your individual players, that's a big part of what coaches have to do. And I think that's what Kirby's trying to handle right now. It's well, and that's why you and I kind of messaged, I messaged you. I was like, like I was saying, Kirby's not going to say anything in public with the coach speak. That's who he is. But it makes you wonder what's going on behind the scenes to where he is now pressing at an unprecedented manner of going completely against what everyone has said he was. And, you know, I kind of want to touch on it. You're talking about – the way we attacked Kentucky and yeah, we only threw for Heath Stetson actually threw for over go back two years ago. When we go to Kentucky in that top 10 matchup and dominate them, we ran the ball most of the time. Jake Fromm only threw for 113 yards and that was his second year as a quarterback. So it's not like we were trying to protect him. And Stetson actually went out and threw for more than that. Um, yeah. So actually it's 10 yards per pass essentially too. It was just the two turnovers. Yeah, that's what, I, that was it. Yeah, exactly, and that's what I, and that's what I want to talk about is it's the it's the turnovers now is what's killing us because like you mentioned, even if you kick the two field goals and it's a twenty to three game, that's still a, a lot different game, and you can't have him out there with no confidence right now. Yeah, especially going I, into a, a game where we can't just pound and ground and expect the game to be over in two and a half hours against Florida. You're and the thing was too, a lot of people are blaming Monk, and even when we were passing, people were open. I don't like I, I don't understand criticizing 
Munkin right now. I, I guess the only Chris, uh, I think maybe if Todd Munkin is the one that is choosing Stetson, because uh, the assumption is that it's Kirby who is sticking Todd Munkin with Stetson Bennett. But that's an assumption that I don't know. Maybe that's true, but why are we just assuming that? Why? I mean, I, I think there's a, there's a, there is a world where Todd Munkin came into Athens saying, I'm going to take this job only if you give me free round the offense. And Kirby said, all right, you got free reign. And look, yeah, I know that Kirby is the head coach. He's the head man. The decision, I guess, ultimately rests with him. But why are we just assuming that he is the guy that's foisting Stetson Bennett upon Todd Munkin and not the other way around? How do we know that Todd Munkin isn't the one that is pushing Stetson Bennett as our starting quarterback? So if there's maybe one area to criticize Munkin, it might be that if that is indeed how things are going on behind the scenes. And we don't really know that, but I think there's, there's certainly a possibility that's the way it's going right now. Someone like that's not leading the NFL when he really didn't like the big thing that bothered him in Cleveland. Yeah, the coach got fired, well, but he had no control in Cleveland. Now, if you have read up yeah. on him, that was the one thing he hated the most. He went from having a lot of control to no control, and that really affected the way he coached. So I doubt he's going to come and be micromanaged. I mean, realistically, I think he's the reason we went after JT Daniels because that's someone he wants. Um, that That's the type of quarterback that he would like to have in his system that can throw it around. Um, the only thing I will say is – I do have a little bit of a consternation with Kirby Smart. Not saying he's making the choices, but he's one of these guys that's always going to make the safe choice, trying to build continuity and things that sometimes can be not the not the best for his team. Yeah, I mean, he's um, a defensive yeah. coach. It's in his DNA to be safe and conservative offensively. It's in his DNA. Well, not only that, not only that, but it's it's the fact of just trying to build continuity, thinking that's what's best when it's not. Last year, this guy, you know, promotes James Cole because he wanted to do what's what he felt thought, thought was best for from and you know build him some continuity and not have to change the offense and that ended up being one of the worst choices he could have made he that's the only thing that really bothers me is sometimes that defensive minded coach is just I want to just play it safe and that that that's not going to win you the big game Saban won a couple big games as that manner but now he's in a he's I think he's really taking his his touch off the offense is letting them be more aggressive and that's allowing him to be successful and go and compete for the big game, which is where we are struggling. Yeah, I do agree with that. So, that's all, I, I mean, just to wrap up Munkin here real quick, I don't, I, I've been pretty clear all season long. I think Munkin's done a really good job for us. I think if there's one area where you can maybe criticize him, if he's the one that is, in, is, adamant that we're sticking with Stetson Bennett. If he's the one making that choice and not Kirby, and, and the truth is, it's probably somewhere in the middle. It's probably a joint choice. But I, I think I mean, I don't think Munkin. I don't think Munkin's going to sit around and be okay if someone just says that's your quarterback. You have no choice. I right. don't believe that. I also believe that maybe Mathis. Or, I'm not because I honestly just don't believe Daniels is healthy quite yet. But if Mathis was the guy that could do it, I don't think that Munkin would just be okay with being stuck with that. Yeah. The play we've gotten from quarterback lately. And Kurt, real quickly before we move on, I do just want to take a minute to remind everyone out there, all of our listeners, about our good friends at MyBookie. Between the NFL and college football dominating the sports scene right now, there is absolutely no shortage of games to watch. The Pac-12 will be back next week, so basically all college football conferences will be back. So there are so many lines, thousands of lines available for you guys on all your favorite sports and events which helps you guys turn your game day into payday with my bookie. Some of you like the big favorites. Some of you like the underdogs. They all have value. Whatever your preference is, you guys can make your bets at my bookie. 
You've got game spreads, championship futures, player prop bets, everything. It's never too late to get in on the action and start turning your sports knowledge into actual cash in your wallet. So sign up today at MyBookie. And when you do, use our promo code OVERTIME to claim a deposit match dollar for dollar. Guys, all the way up to $1,000. You really can't beat that deal. And again, that's promo code OVERTIME for you to claim your bonus and get a head start on your winning season as you make your first deposit. We've got stacked UFC cards, presidential prop bets, all the major sports, and so much more. Sign up today to begin your winning season exclusively at MyBookie. Well, let's 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 go to that because that's my next question here, Curtis. This is the obvious question. This is the question we got. I got. I mean, I have so many tweets. I haven't even seen so many uh, DMs and tweets. I haven't even had a chance to see yet because I was driving back from Kentucky. So if you if I haven't seen it yet, guys, if you, I'm ignoring you, I promise I'm not ignoring you. Just haven't had a chance to get to it yet. But uh, the big theme here is obviously we've got to make a change at quarterback. And Kirby, you mentioned it. He said definitively in his post game press conference that he didn't even consider making a quarterback change. What was your reaction upon hearing him say that? I mean, like I told you, it's what I expected. I thought, I thought the you know the world would be ending if he had actually come out and said he was thinking about making a change during the game. It just doesn't do any good. Like I, and go, to go back, like to we were talking about how Stetson's already lacking in confidence. That's the last thing you want to do, and then throw the yeah. kid out there to where he's afraid to pull the trigger on any throw, knowing all right, if I'm as soon as I mess up, I'm out. I just don't know how it helps. Like openly criticizing your players like that. I know Kirby has criticized some guys in the past, like Richard Count early in his but career. That's, against, that's, like, that's about effort and things like that, yeah. making mental mistakes, which they shouldn't do. That's not, that's a completely different situation than what we're seeing right now. You just, I mean, I just, I don't know what good it is. I know it might make us feel better for a second that you're like, oh yeah, the coach sees what I see. And it might give you a little bit of hope that maybe he'll change things. I get that. But what good is it really going to do for him to come out and say, yeah, Stetson played really poorly, made some bad decisions, but it's in a really, and he actually did acknowledge he had a, a poor decision there. But like, what good does that do? Like, if you're going to make a change, just make the change. You don't have to like rip the kid publicly. And that also hurts you in recruiting too, by the well, way. Just like, when, like when he made the change with Juwan, he, the whole time sat there protecting Juwan, defending him, saying Juwan didn't do it that much to really lose it. He was just trying to get the offense kickstarted. So he was actually protecting – a lot of people thought Juwan would come back and be the starter the way Kirby defended him. No, it's because you don't just tear kids down because if you do have to rely on them, how do you expect them to come out when you've just sat there tearing them down? It would just destroy a kid. It would just destroy the kid's confidence, man. There's just, and like you just, mentioned, too, recruiting, no one's going to want to go play for a coach that's going to just throw his players under the bus. No, it's just not going to happen. It's just, it's just, it's just not going to happen, guys. And I, I really like. I get the impulse of wanting the coach to do that. I do. I'm not saying I, mean, I, I get it. I, like, I would love for him to be like, yes, Stetson is not. You know, we've got to get bet more out of him and be honest. But that's just not going to happen. Yeah, I understand the impulse. It's not going to happen. I don't think it would really do any good. I just don't. Do well. Let me ask you this. So, do you think, like, if you're Kirby Smart, do are you strong? How strongly are you considering making a quarterback change right now? I mean, the problem is, I don't know. If Daniels is healthy, I don't know why he's not playing. But if he's not healthy, it is – the thing is we don't know how Juwan has responded to being benched. We don't know if he's gotten better at practice or if he's just, you know, just wrote it in. Like now people are making a big deal of him uh, deleting all his Georgia stuff from his Instagram and his attitude and things like that. So you don't know how he has responded. And that's the big problem is we're not at practice every day to see all the true responses. Mm-hmm. Now I will mention that, you know, I mentioned it to you that I thought Jordan Rogers made a good point is talking about how – Stetson's in there to not make mistake or you know not turn the ball over and give our offense a chance. And if he is not doing that, then you do Why have to make there? a look because if he's not, yeah. yeah if he if he's not do if he's not doing the job that he's out there to do, why is he playing? And, and the thing that does bother me about that is Kirby Smart. I, I get the quarterback job is very important, but he's so willing to just rip kids in and out 
all throughout the field, offensive line, everywhere. He's, he, you know, he's so willing to just pull kids out mid-series for a series or two, put someone else in, and then give them another shot to go at it, um, just hoping that'll get, you know, get their mind straight. He's so willing to do it everywhere else but the most important position on the field, in my opinion. That's that is true, and that's a that I do think that's a fair criticism. I would, but I would say, but, that like, but it is hard. It is hard with quarterbacks, yeah. I, and that, that's it's hard to just rip one out and throw them back in. You have to yeah. you have to handle quarterbacks with care, and I get that. But it, that is the one position where he won't hold people as accountable. It feels like. Yes, I think that's like that's he's, more, he's more forgiving. He's more forgiving. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. I would just say. That's not necessarily unique to Kirby Smart, but that is that is something that that is the case. Though. That is the case. Uh, but and, and, I mean, like you mentioned, that's not unique, and all a lot of coaches are like that. But that's what you're hearing the sentiment from the fans. Sure, and I and I understand that I do. But I, I'm kind of with you, Kurt. Like, okay, this is like I know people are going to sound like you roll your eyes and you're going to say this is just a cop out here that I'm just defending the coaches. But guys, the coaches do. Like I, I will always defend coaches in this regard. They have far more information to work off of than we do. We think we know, but oftentimes we have no idea what's going on behind the scenes. We don't see practice. We don't know the internal dynamics of the team. We don't know what is going on, as you were alluding to, Curtis. So I, I, I and I, I, I acknowledge, guys, that yes, I oftentimes do defer to the coaches, but that's the reason why. Because they, guys, this is their job. They are the experts of this. Like we're, I'm an amateur. I'm an amateur at best at this, right? Like they have so much more information to work off of. They know so much more about the sport, about the game than we do. So yeah, I typically do defer. That doesn't mean that coaches are infallible. Not at all. Not at all. They make mistakes, and, and, and those, it's fair to point those mistakes out when those mistakes are made. But I just like we're looking at a quarterback change here. Like, yeah, I, I'm not gonna lie. I would. I, we need to become more dy- dynamic offensively. I, I've made it very clear. I don't think Stetson is the answer. I hope I'm wrong there. But with each passing game, it's, it feels like that's beca- that that is becoming more and more true that he's just not gonna be the answer. Here. We're that every every game you're seeing why he was a walk on. Right, you're Sorry. seeing more and more. But just because that's the case doesn't mean that he's not the best option that we have right now. And I know we don't want to believe that University of Georgia, that Stetson Bennett for a walk-on is our best option. I know that we have this pride, and we don't want to think that's the case, and we also want to be good this season. We, we still have hopes. But maybe that is just the case. Maybe he is the best option. Maybe Dwan's not ready. I don't Maybe JT's not healthy. I don't know. Now, here's what I would argue. If we're going to go back to the old Georgia way, right, like Kirby alluded to last week, and we're going to run the ball 75% of the time like we did this week against Kentucky, I know that's that's skewed in this one week. But if we're going to run, be that run-heavy moving forward this season, Curtis, wouldn't Dwan Mathis give you a more dynamic offense? If, if, if the run game is what you're going to lean on, would it make more sense to insert him? Because if you're only going to throw the ball 15, 20 times a game, but you have Dwan Mathis, who's a dual-threat guy, would it make more sense to have him in the game? Would he make your offense more dynamic? I agree, because the thing is, it's not like Stetson's throwing the ball downfield. A lot of it has been intermediate trying to protect him and get him easy throws to try to build some confidence where he's not able to even do that. And if that's the case, then why can't – like, I agree with that. Like, do I think Juwan's answer? I will be honest, I do not think he is the answer. Yeah, but I mean, if, that's, if that's where we're going – but I, do, I don't believe that that's where we want to be, and that's what we don't have to settle for. But if that is the case, then you, I think you need to revisit. In general, I just – I think that Stetson has become what the post office really is now and inconsistent and not delivering when we need it the most. Wow, nice analogy, dude. I like it. You know, a little round of applause there. Well done. Yeah, I, I said it after the Bama game, guys. I said it after the Alabama game, and I will say it again. It's what you just alluded to, Curtis, a few minutes ago. 
Stetson Bennett, the reason we brought Stetson Bennett into the game against Arkansas is because he was supposed to be smart. He was supposed to protect the football, be a good decision maker, be a state, he be a stabilizing force. That was what he brought to the table. That's why he won this job early in the year. But once that goes out the door, once he's turned the ball over five times in two games and putting the ball on the ground, fumbling two more times in the same spam, if he's turned the ball over like that and he's making those mistakes, it defeats the purpose of having him in the game. What does he bring to the table if he's making the same exact mistakes that got Dwan Mathis bench in week one against Arkansas? When Dwan's a more a, clearly a more dynamic athlete, if Stetson's making a lot of the same or similar type mistakes that Dwan Mathis was making that got him benched, then why are we not going? If they're both going to make mistakes, why don't we at least go with the, the more dynamic athlete is all I'm saying, right? The guy with the higher upside. That's what I'm saying. Uh, that, that's just where I would put this. So I, I don't know. But again, I, I oftentimes defer to the coach because they have more information than we do. They see practice. They get out there in the meeting rooms. So it's, it's, it's a tough call to make. But I, I'm going to say I, I, I would be very strongly exploring other options right now if we're going to try to beat Florida, beat anybody really down the stretch here and have any chance to, to compete for any sort of title. And I, I don't know, but I just don't know if that's going to happen. I, I, at this point, I'm just sitting here. Are you with me, Curtis? I'm kind of sitting here just thinking, like, this is what it's going to be. Like, Stetson's going to be the guy the rest of the way, right? Are you with me there? Yeah, because I don't I, – this is going to sound mean, but I don't think Kirby Smart has the balls to rock the ship at this point, unless JT's healthy, yes, which he apparently is not. I mean, he, he like I said, he's always shown to make the safe call. Well, I think Kirby makes – I think – well, Kirby wants to win, guys, and I think he's he, he makes a decision based on what he thinks is best for us to win – I just I think it's fair to disagree with him, but I I don't know if it's not because he he doesn't have balls. I think he just making a decision that he thinks is in our best interest. He's just more conservative by nature, I think, than some other people would be. That's also what's caught. You know, even Nick Saban admitted I realized that I couldn't be as that cautious and going forward and still expect to win. And you just have to sit here and wonder when Kirby Smart's ever going to open up his eyes to that and the way he recruits and the way he gets after people. I, I well, I'll say I, okay. So I, I would slightly disagree there. I think Kirby Smart's eyes happen to by evidence by the fact that he went out and he got Todd Munkin. He goes and gets Jamie Newman, the top dual threat quarterback on the transfer market. He starts Dwan Mathis in Week One, knowing the guy is probably not fully ready, like for you know, for just a knowledge standpoint. But he goes with him. I think those are all signs and evidence of like him him realizing he's got to evolve offensively. But here's what I think. Happened. I mean, I get that, but my, the the thing that bothers me though is. You're trying to like you've got to recruit these athletes to be able to compete with the Alabama and the Clemsons, and we can't get them to come in with what we're putting on the field consistently. Yeah, you can say well things just haven't turned out how that how we wanted them to, but that's still not going to make a kid feel safe because you can promise to make changes. Like there were promises, you know, that we were going to evolve when we got Justin Fields, but it never happened. Yeah, I, I know. I think that and that's the thing you can't keep making promises that aren't coming fruitful. Yeah, but I think with the Justin Fields thing, I know this is an unpopular thing to say. I think he, that was dependent upon him winning the job. If he would have won the job, then you change the offense. But you can't change the offense without knowing he's the, the guy that's going to win the job. Well, I, I agree with that. But I also don't know if – I mean, I know Fields wanted to leave and everything at that point. But I just think in general, we haven't seen a true commitment to making a change. Outside, that's yeah, fair. he brought in Newman. And, but, I mean, there still has no been results. And it's been multiple right. years at this point. That and that's all fair. That's all fair. What I and I've said this before as well. I'll just like just like just like the whole idea of hiring Coley. There, Coley was never going to make a change to that type of system. So you just wasted an entire year. No, he hired Coley. He hired Coley because he didn't want him to make a change. He wanted continuity to front. Exactly, that's and, and that's and that's my and that's my whole point is you just hired him to not make a change, which goes against what you are claiming to try to be, become. 
Yes, that was clearly a mistake, 100% a mistake, no doubt about that. But, I, I again, I think hiring, going out and hiring Todd Munkin, getting Newman, uh, starting Dwyane Mathis, that's evidence that he understands that we need to change. And even, going and get, even going and getting Daniels, because Daniels is not the safe pocket passer that someone like Jake Fromm is. Yeah, absolutely. But here's what I think happened. I think even though he wanted to change, recognized we needed to change, he was shell-shocked. In that first quarter, that first half against Arkansas, when he saw how badly things were going, when he tried to this, do this new shiny offense with a new shiny quarterback that could, that could do dual threat stuff and try to evolve, and he saw that it wasn't working out, I think it scared him to death. And when he got scared to death, he reverted back to his safe, comfortable old they way. They did that against Alabama, too, because, you know, they ran the ball or they threw the ball more than passing, and it got behind and things like that. And it, it scared him, but the realistic factors – when you want to make a change, it's going to be hard, but you have to be committed to it. You can't just be half-assed, halfway in, halfway out, to where as soon as things go bad again, you revert back to who you were. That's not going to make get, make changes happen in the long run. You're right. That's not true commitment. Okay. A, a quarter and a half is not true commitment. That is true. But like when you're losing— I mean, I'm not saying ball. that Juan was the answer to making those changes because even Stetson can go— Stetson's known as a gunslinger, so it's not like he can't throw the ball around. I mean, even go back to Jake Fromm's days. Jake Fromm was always best— and you're in a hurry up open system because that's what he ran in high school, yet we still were committed to the, you know, two tight end sets, even though we knew Jake could, could Jake Fromm always did better in the two minute drill than he did. I mean, he put up most of his stats every game in a two minute drill type setting, but yet we never committed to it. Fair point. All fair point. All fair point. All right. Well, we talked a lot about the offense quarterback. Let's move on a little bit here. I know there's a lot more meat left in that bone, and we'll get some more of that later on this week. But for the rest of this show, let's move on a little bit here, Curtis. So while the offense certainly continued to sputter and maybe sputter more than it has since the first half of the Arkansas game in week one, the defense got back on track, limiting Kentucky to three points in 229 total yards. Curtis, how much better do you feel about the defense after this week's performance coming off that Bama game where we got torched for 564? I don't feel any better because of who Kentucky is. But the thing that made me feel good is at least we saw a lot of injuries, which may hurt us in the long run. But you saw guys coming in and still holding it. I mean, that def- that offensive line of theirs is really, really good. And we were stuck with some backups, guys that we didn't think that we were going to have to rely on. And they stayed, still came in and bowed their necks and made some plays, which do- that makes me feel better. Um, yeah. I wasn't going to feel all warm and fuzzy about holding them to three points because offensively they shouldn't score more than that, especially with Joey Gatewood. Yeah, it's it's really tough to go and like stick your chest out and start boasting. Oh yeah, well we're we're back. We only gave up two hundred twenty nine yards and three points. Kentucky, guys, Kentucky. I, I told you guys last week, two last three games they've gone for under two hundred total yards. This Kentucky offense has been struggling for a while. You have a new quarterback in there who really hasn't started. He hadn't started a game ever. Hasn't really done anything. You can, you cannot expect them to just put up huge numbers. And that, their offensive line is really good though, and I, I do think Chris Rodriguez is a good back. Little Benny. That offensive line, I mean, I think they're not quite as good as Bama. They're not that far behind. You, and you have some of those injuries rack up after what, the, the second drive of the game uh, up front for us against a really good offensive line. And those young guys, Jalen Carter, Stackhouse, Brinson, able to hold their own there. Devontae Wyatt playing lights out. I do think we should feel pretty good about that. I know they rushed for, what, 130 yards. We're only getting like 66 yards a game on the ground. But, again, like they, that's basically all they did was run the football. They couldn't throw the football to save their lives. They were one-dimensional. I understand that. But we have all the injuries that we have. That's still a solid performance, really outside of that one drive. I think Kentucky's third drive that had the ball for about 10 minutes. And that drive, and that was the first drive that we had without Jordan Davis in there. I, I, that one was tough to watch, and that was painful. But really outside of that, 
our defense uh, dominated this game. And we look, this game, I know it was only 14 3, but we were, this game was never in doubt. Like, they never threatened us this game. We, we were never in danger of losing this game. And I know people are really upset about how the offense is looking. And I think that's more about what, how, how are we going to be able to perform against teams that are better down the road later on in our schedule, as in like next week. I get that. But like this game was never really in doubt. But I thought the defense played well, all things considered. But again, how much can you really read into that? How much does that really make you feel better? Probably not all that much because Kentucky, again, is a terrible offense right now, especially without their starting quarterback. So good performance. I'm not going to just completely dismiss it. Good performance. We really like the way some of those backups were able to step up and uh, fill in for some of the stars when they went out. But let's not get too far ahead of ourselves and just say, oh, yeah, we're back after after being Kentucky. And, Kurt, you alluded to the injury situation. I know a lot of people are concerned about the offense. Understandably so. Definitely understandably so. But my biggest concern personally heading into the Florida game is our injury situation. It's the walking wounded out there, man. We got we knew George Pickens. Well, I guess we heard pregame that George Pickens and Kenny McIntosh were going to be out. They didn't make the trip. Then Jordan Davis goes down. Julian Rochester, Lewis Singh, Quay Walker, Big Ben. The count we find out, I mean, I wake up this morning and find out that he gets in a screw accident. He's got bruised ribs, concussion, like probably not going to play next week. Uh, we already know that Monty Rice has been been in, a, on, uh, in and out of a boot the past couple of weeks. Just we're, we are the walking wounded right now. We don't know the status of all those guys, Curtis, going into next week's game against Florida. But if none of them can go next week, which would be the biggest loss against Florida? Which guy do we need to have the most? Davis and Richard. Um, both of those I think will be the biggest losses. Um, I'm very frustrated with the whole Richard thing. I know it could be someone else's fault, but especially going to an SEC school now where players don't go on motorcycles and mopeds, it's frustrating. What do you mean by that? To get around on campus, they don't need it. The school does a good job of giving them – they give them parking, which is on campus right near all the classes, right next to all their facilities. The players aren't having to pay for parking at a a church, you know, across the street that's not really on campus – um and and that's just the I guess it's reality of the difference in schools and the way that Athens is very restricted in the land it had so that, I think that's the frustrating thing because it's not just football but I mean you've seen baseball players get paralyzed from the um motorcycle accidents and things of that nature so I think just the whole fact that athletes and stuff in general rely on them around Athens is what's frustrating yeah that is, that is Certainly frustrating. Yeah, now I know I see what you're saying. Yeah, that's definitely. I mean, but I mean, and that's taking it out outside of football, or you know, football in the game. You don't want any players to get hurt, and yeah, they can get hurt in car accidents. But a car accident is less likely to be as injurious. They're not as likely to be as injured as they are in one of those type of accidents. Oh, sure. There's, there's almost no protection if you're on a moped, motorcycle, whatever. There's just none whatsoever. So, yeah, I think to me, Jordan Davis is the answer. I mean, like we need all these guys. They're, I mean, these are all big time. I mean, what we got five or six starters that we mentioned that list there but jordan davis only has florida like we need to make them one-dimensional completely like they don't have they don't have a great ground game their offensive line is not very good but if we don't have jordan like this was gonna be that was gonna be a major match advantage for us going to this game the guy like jordan davis in the center of that defensive front without him there potentially and have you heard anything definitive curse have you heard anything definitive on jordan davis and I'm, i know i'm getting back from kentucky so i've been kind of in and out of the loop here have i haven't heard anything, heard anything. no one's really even hinted at anything um the biggest thing to me uh that I thought that is if his injury was that serious, they would have taken him for treatment right away. Um, that was the only thing that I found. I mean, it may not be anything, but I try to find some positivity where I can. And usually if they feel like it's that uh, that serious, the player's taken out and getting tre- – like you saw uh, Waddle. They knew his injury was serious, and he was over there in the ambulance ready to get out of there um, pretty quickly. So, I mean, that's the only thing I'm hoping. Um, even if it's an elbow injury, for the most part, you see a lot of pro players 
playing through things because they can just put those tough uh, elbow pads on them and things like that. But it just depends on the toughness of the kid. Yeah, we need him badly in that game because we need to make like, – that's a, that was probably our ma- our number one match with advantage this game is that defensive front. And I'm, I'm not saying it's still not an advantage. Without Jordan Davis, that takes a hit. And then his backup, Julian Rochester. It takes, takes a hit at your depth. Yeah. And, we, and that's another one of our strengths defensively is our depth. And now, sure, the depth is showing now because we can plug and play some guys, but who plays behind them? That's the problem. Now, these guys are going to be playing more snaps, and it just takes away one of the advantages that we have defensively. So, I, look, we need all these guys. I mean, George Pickens, we need him back offensively big time. And I think he and Kenny McIntosh will probably both be back this week because they were practicing last week. They just weren't quite ready to go at the end of the week. But I think they'll both probably be back this week. Will they be 100% healthy? That remains to be seen. But for me, the biggest injury here, especially if we don't get it back, if he's out next week, is going to be Jordan Davis. He is poised to be a matchup problem for Florida. Really going to be one of the big advantages that we had going into that game. So I hope there's some way we can possibly get him back. If not, I do think that is a really big loss. And of course, yeah, Richard LeCount would be the next one for me because he's just the leader of that secondary back there. He's played so much football. Doesn't mean he's a perfect player. But he is an absolute leader out there. He flies around the football. He knows what to do. Doesn't mean he doesn't get his eyes in the wrong place from time to time. Doesn't mean he doesn't miss a tackle here and there. But Rich LeCount has been a really good player for us for a really long time. And the guys behind him, I just don't know if they're ready to play anywhere near the caliber that Rich LeCount plays in game in and game out. And Rich LeCount was going to be a big part of the game plan in terms of defending Kyle Pitts. And we don't know how good Kyle Pitts is. And I know we're going to throw different guys at Pitts. But LeCount is certainly going to be a big part of that. And... I told you guys in the preseason, I wasn't really high on our safety depth. We just didn't have a ton of quality depth. I really, I like what I've seen from Chris Smith, but who, who knows what's going on with Lewis Seen? We could potentially go without against Florida without our two starting safeties. With how they can throw the football, that is not a positive development, guys. That is bad news. I like Chris Smith. I think Chris Smith, I feel good with him, but like, what are we going to do at the other safety spot? I mean, I know Mark Webb has been repping there, kind of cross-training. A bunch of guys have been cross-training. Like, do you throw Webb back there? And then like, then that means you've got Tyreek Stevenson. Like, he'll be fine at star. But then what, with the money position and third downs, what do you do? Do you bring in William Poole, who hasn't really played all year? Like, it's just – it creates some issues for us, man. It's a really dynamic passing offense. So, it's concerning. It's concerning, man. There's no doubt about it. But all right, guys, there's been a lot of negativity on today's episode, kind of mirroring my Twitter feed over the last 24 hours, to be honest. But I do want to at least try to inject some positivity in the conversation as we hand out our game balls for this week's win. So, Chris, who gets your first game ball? Uh, I want to give it to Zeus. I thought Zeus ran the ball well. You know, I've kind of been dogging on him. And he showed some explosion um, at the line of scrimmage. He hadn't been showing all year, so I think that was definitely – he deserves a game ball. I am so glad you went there with your first game ball, Chris. Zeus was going to get my first game ball if he didn't get yours. Because this dude, I've got to admit – showed me something on Saturday. You and I have both, Curtis. You mentioned, you said you kind of been dogging him a little bit, and I have been too. I've been pretty open saying that I think Kenny McIntosh and Kendall Milton should start getting a lot more looks and a lot more carries, cutting into what Zeus was getting. Zeus has been our workhorse to this point. He just hasn't been an explosive workhorse. Been a fairly productive workhorse, sure, but not the kind of explosive back that we've needed we hadn't seen that kind of a burst from him, and I think we saw that. We started to see more of that this week. We'd seen signs of the lateral agility returning earlier in the year, but we hadn't seen that burst, that explosiveness, and we started to see more of that on Saturday. So I started to see some things from Zeus that I had not seen really since he's come back from the injuries, and then that's kind of where we've been with Zeus. We're going back to like the preseason, talking about 
how this guy, we all want him to do so well. He's overcome so much in his life. He's such an incredible young man, such an incredible story. And just to hear Kirby rave about Zeus in the post-game press conference, just how he spoke about him, I mean, it speaks volumes about the kind of young man that Zamir White is. I'm so happy for him, and I want the best for him. Just because I've been hard on him and saying that there might be some guys that deserve a few more touches doesn't mean that I don't still want the best for Zeus. I absolutely do, and it, it certainly brought a huge smile to my face, not just because it helped us win the game on Saturday, but just for him, for him to be able to do that. It was awesome, and, and I want to root this guy on, guys. I want to say awesome things about Zeus, and so I'm really excited to be able to say that today. I think we might have seen him start to turn the corner. If he can be explosive like that, I mean, we're, we were seeing jump cuts. We are seeing great lateral agility. We were seeing that burst, that explosiveness. We are seeing some balance. We were seeing vision. Honestly, that might be my biggest takeaway from Saturday's game when it comes to Zeus. Maybe just in general, because that might be one of the most important developments for us the rest of this way. Probably the biggest thing I've been critical of Zeus for throughout his career was just the vision. I didn't think that he was displaying great vision throughout the year to this point. There were some there were some plays here and there, sure, but I think his tendency with his power was just kind of get behind his shoulder pads, put his head down, and just plow ahead and get a couple yards, get, get a few positive yards. And there's value in that at times, but the value that brings can be negated when doing so keeps you from seeing a hole that might open up late that you can then use your your quickness and your lateral agility to move over into and get a much bigger gain. And we saw that more from him on Saturday. I saw some really good runs where he showcased some really, really good vision. He saw the plays open up. He was seeing the field better. And if he can continue to do that and continue to run hard like he does, which Zeus, you would never have to worry about that. That dude is always going to run hard. And that's one of the things I love about him. But if he can continue to build on that, then I think he might be the key to the rest of this season, especially if we could continue to have issues at the quarterback position, which honestly, if it's going to be Stetson, I mean, at this point, it kind of is what it is. And I'll also say this real quick in reference to Zeus. I think a big part of this is just the guy continuing to grow, the guy getting more reps. And as he gets more reps, he's going to continue to improve and shake that rust off. I mean, he basically missed an entire year. Yeah, he played last year, but he got few carries here and there. I mean, he played sparingly. He didn't get a ton of carries. And when you're not getting those carries in game settings like that in meaningful situations, it can be hard for some of those skills to to sharpen and for some of those skills to develop, like the vision, the lateral agility, the burst, those kind of things. Now that he's getting a lion's share of the carries, you're starting to see the guy make progress. I know he's not necessarily young. He's, He's in his third year here in Athens. I mean, he can go pro after this year if he wants to, but he really is young in terms of the amount of carries he's gotten here in Athens. So I think he's getting better. If he can just continue to move forward on that trajectory, it could be really, really big for us. All right, who gets game ball number two for you? Ooh, that's tough because there was not a lot of good going on out there. I, I, um, I got to be honest. I had, to, I had to think a minute for this as well. It took me a minute or two. I'm going to throw Camardo game ball. I mean, he – kept flipping field position. Kentucky was never getting the ball in a great field position. And, uh, you know, I, at one point their average starting line was like the 15-yard line. So I got to give him a game ball for just pick, uh, pinning them deep every time. Two two punts down inside the 10-yard line. One of them was like a 50-plus yarder. I mean, he's he, – I don't want to say he's the best punter in America, but he's certainly in a conversation for best punter in America, no doubt about that. All right, for my second game ball, we talked about Zeus, gave him some love, and he played great. He deserves it, but he couldn't do that alone. The offensive line, I think, in general, played really well in this game. But in particular, I thought Jamari Sawyer played his best game as a Georgia Bulldog. Obviously, he didn't get a lot of opportunities in pass pro, but 
in the run blocking game, I mean, I thought he was lights out. I mean, in Pro Football Focus, their grade indicates exactly that. He graded out an 84.8 overall in that game, his highest grade of the season. That kind of matched exactly what I saw in the field. He was getting outstanding movement. I mean, he was pushing guys 5, 10 yards on the field. And the guys, I know they did not have Quentin Bohanna in the interior at the nose guard position. But that is still a really good Kentucky defense in front. And not just Salyer, the entire offensive line, but especially Salyer, kind of had their way with them for the most part in that game. So if he can continue to improve like that. And, and Salyer played great, but so did Justin Schaefer. That really entire left side of the line I thought played really, really well. We're doing some of the counter plays as well. We're throwing some of those in there, which we had... We had a lot of success with, with Schaefer and Sire getting out in front of the running back there, leading the way. So really want to give him some props there. He, he's been a work in progress from day one, but he's a really talented guy, and you can see he's really kind of starting to get comfortable out there at that left tackle position. He's playing really, really well for us right now. All right, Kurt, who are you going with for your third and final game ball? Then Kobe Dean. I thought he had a heck of a game. Yeah, totally agree. Probably his best game as a Georgia Bulldog, kind of like Jamari Salyer. Played outstanding. I think he had 14 tackles overall in the game. That was a career high for him. And he played just about every single snap, obviously with Monty Rice dealing with the foot injury, kind of being in and out of a boot for a couple of weeks now. And then Quay Walker going down in the game as well. So Nicobe was in there almost all game long. And he, of course, we know he flies sideline to sideline. But this is a Kentucky team that wanted to run the football right at you. And Nicobe, if there's, if there's one, I don't say weakness, but one criticism of him as a linebacker is that he's not the biggest guy. That's kind of in the knock on him. He's just not the biggest dude. Can he hold up in the middle of the defense against a team that really wants to run right at you? And I thought he absolutely answered that resoundingly with a resounding yes against Kentucky on Saturday. Guy played lights out. No, he's not the biggest guy in the world. And if teams get their hands on him, sure, they can, they can move him out of the way because he's not the biggest guy. But he does such a great job instinctively and kind of cutting in underneath blockers with that speed and quickness that he kind of almost makes that a moot point. I thought he played outstanding, and hopefully he can continue to improve on that the rest of the way as well. And for me, my final game ball, there's a couple of guys I really want to go with here. But I'm going to go with Devontae Wyatt. With Jordan Davis going out, Devontae Wyatt had to be pressing the duty at the nose guard position, which is kind of not exactly natural for him. He's more of a three-tech guy. But I thought he played valiantly in that role. He's more of a guy that can be a little more disruptive in that, from that three-tech spot instead of like eating up blocks like Davis does. But I thought he did a really good job of that as, as well as could, you, could be expected in, in that short notice there. But he played outstanding, which he's been he's been so good and so underrated for us for a while. But you also got to throw in guys like Jalen Carter, Nazir Stackhouse, and Warren Brinson, some of the young guys, the true freshmen on this team. They got pressed into duty. They had to play a lot more snaps than they normally do. And uh, I thought they responded really well. So I would go with Wyatt there, but those other guys deserve an honorable mention as well. But all right, guys, that does it for us today here on the Glory UJ podcast. Again, I know we obviously did not get to cover everything about this game. We only have a certain amount of time to record here, and our time is up. So if there's anything that we missed that you guys want us to cover on the mailbag episode, please feel free to send us those questions on Twitter at Glory underscore UGA, or you can email them to us at GloryUGAPodcast at gmail.com. It wasn't pretty, but... As the old saying goes, a win's a win's a win, right? I guess we'll have to take it for now, heading into the big-time cocktail party matchup with Florida. God, hopefully we can somehow get healthy, because if not, it's going to be an uphill climb to win that game. There's no doubt about that, but we have all week to cover that, guys. Thanks again for listening. We really do appreciate that. If it took me a second to to get back to you guys on social media, as I was driving back to Kentucky, I apologize for that, but I will try to get to each and every one of you here in the next day or so uh, as I get my feedback are going to be coming back from this past weekend. But thanks again, guys. 
For Curtis, I'm Tyler, and as always, go dogs.